Recording live from the Hoban Law Group here in Denver, Colorado, I'm your host, Eric Singular. We're sitting alongside president and founder of the Hoban Law Group, Bob Hoban. We are joined today by Derek Perkins, founder of The Drone Farmer, to talk about precision agriculture and innovation in the pandemic. Derek, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. So Derek, tell us a little bit about how the drone farmer came to be and what your forecast is for this year. Um, drone farmers uh, started about three years, three about three seasons ago. Um, uh, I come from the industry TV film, so we were using drones a lot uh, for videography. Um, uh, being in this market, uh, I started to get a lot of requests from uh, various farms, growers, to just do, uh, you know, flyovers of their field, circle the field. And it was kind of at the time when the industry, where a lot of people were selling crops they didn't actually have. So this was one one way to prove that you had what you were selling and be how well you could grow uh, whatever particular type of crop you were growing. Um, so a year two, that kind of uh, same clients uh, started asking for more plant health uh, type of info, not just visual data. Um, so that that is what really kind of started uh, uh, the the drone farmers was uh, looking at the equipment that's used on drones for for ag and crop management um, on the. Uh, service side as well as on the education side um, uh, what professors were using to train agronomists what type of equipment they use for uh, for phenotyping and things like that so uh, to to set up a business once I kind of had a grasp of the of the two two levels of, of equipment that were out there it kind of helped us center on 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 what direction uh, we were going to uh, uh, established the drone farmers uh, and so we did that to offer uh, basic services uh, to the to the growers um, that was kind of specific to hemp. Well it's interesting too because you've seen the development of this industry in the United States specifically as it relates to hemp farming over the last couple of years and one of the really important parts of all of that is herbicide, pesticide application. Of course, when industrial hemp farming started in the United States, a lot of farmers thought, oh, this is going to be the same as other crops. And then they came to find out that was not the case. And that is kind of where you have found a niche for your business. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think, I think number one thing is weeds. Uh, you know, uh, traditional uh, ag is used to being able to have a product to apply on their crops for weeds. Um uh, in hemp, it's 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 a physical, it's a manual labor, um, and depending on what type of weed, what region you're in, uh, depends on how much that labor is is going to uh, uh, cost. So, with our technology, one of the first things we seen that that was one of the biggest areas that we could uh, uh, make uh, uh, basically bring relief, uh, not only in in how they uh, uh, dealt with it, but in cost and, and, and doing something where normally the traditional way would be to walk each row, row by row. We do an aerial 
uh, of the entire field, and we basically uh, can circle the areas that are, are you know, problematic immediately, and then ones you can deal with day two. And in doing that, um, uh, uh, we basically say row two, you know, uh, row three, row four, and the field labor basically attacks it like that. So, so Derek, break break it down, break it down for us. Break it down on the different types of drones and the different types of services that are offered to hemp farmers through the drone farmers. Uh, we do basically three types of three types of drones. Uh, one drone uh, is is used to do the surveying to collect the data to find where your problems are, or uh, or to do a a plant count, more of a utility uh, type of uh, um, survey. Uh, that's so that's your survey drone. Then we have our sprayer, and we have two types of sprayers uh, uh, that yeah, that have the ability to. Uh, uh, do an orchard mode and one that's uh, can uh, apply product uh, on on uh, basically clones uh, about a week after uh, they're 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 planted so with the two levels of uh, the two levels of sprayers uh, we can attack uh, the organic uh, kind of uh, market not only hemp and then our third drone is a broadcast spreader which uh, we do cover crops uh, for a lot of our hemp uh, uh, clients, but we can also spread uh, anything that's pelletized. So we've done uh, uh, nitrogen pellets. Uh, we've done test programs, even spreading uh, a salt for de-icing um, and uh, bait for grasshoppers. So the, the, the basic three drones are we have our inspector, our sprayer, and our broadcast spreader. You bring up an interesting point, which is organic versus conventional, which is, of course, very important to our food and our agriculture industry. And as, as I understand it right now, with the limited pesticide and herbicide applications for industrial hemp, most hemp, hemp grown in the United States is therefore organic, even though it may not be certified by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And that's given the uh, until relatively recently, the implementation of the IFR and other guidance from the USDA. Will you talk a little bit about the different certifications associated with growing industrial hemp, herbicides and pesticides, et cetera? Yeah, uh, it's, it's probably one of the, the biggest uh, areas that we take the most time with, with each client uh, uh, based on what they're growing for and what type of certification uh, they're growing under and, and, and how their growing process uh, uh, has to be uh, sustained. Um, uh, we carry products uh, back up a little bit. We, we, we basically approach this uh, as a, with a proactive approach. So in doing that, uh, with the three drones I just described, we, we uh, create a program that also uh, involves the product to be applied. So uh, when you select one or two of our programs based on what level of organic farming you're doing, you can select the products that fit that from soil nutrients to uh, plant nutrients to uh, your pesticides or your, your fungicides. Um, so the two levels, uh, basically, uh, the, the way it deals, the way we have to deal with it is the ones that are on the highest level. We have to even clean our drones with the organic cleaner. Um, and, you know, on their side, every, every component 
of uh, that they use for organic farming uh, has to be certified organic. So we carry Omri and we carry uh, uh, the Green Business uh, Bureau certification uh, and we also do kosher. So the product lines we carry across three different products. Uh, if you're not at that highest level, we have an all natural uh, product line uh, from soil to plant nutrient to your herbicide and your pesticide. And as we've talked about before on this podcast, there is going to likely be an impact on industrial hemp farming and the amount of acreage in the United States this year, given the spread of the coronavirus and the uh, resulting economic downturn. However, that presents a lot of opportunities for innovators and particularly for drone technologies. Um, What are you kind of thinking about? Are you seeing some opportunities for drone usage in other sectors at this time? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a, uh, that's an hour conversation for all all the sectors, but just to to run them down, oil and gas, huge, Uh, mining, huge, Uh, construction is probably the largest uh, internationally, uh, just because of how efficient and how quick uh, it replaces the traditional way of doing things. Like just a quick example um, for inventory, RFID tags are pretty much put on everything on a construction site. Uh, Traditionally, you drive a truck through the site to collect all our RFID tag data. Uh, We have have sensors on on, uh, some technology we've created. Uh, We're reading like 70 uh, uh, tags a second at 30 feet. So we could basically fly over the construction site uh, one eighth of the time and collect all of the inventory data. Um, so, 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 thir- so, just again, I thought it was an hour conversation just on the other sectors, um, but that's that's just one of the things of a, a, a really cool, uh, unique uh, technology in mining uh, has just been launched, and it's a drone that it's basically inside of a sphere. So you're able to throw it in uh, manholes, things you would never, the drone would hit, the prop would hit, and it would be a loss of a drone. Um, so it can do inspections, and it carries se- uh, sensors for, for gas detection. So now we can send these in and not an actual person, and in crawl spaces and areas. So across each sector, there's, there's, there's something amazing out. Um, I think the, uh, the radon gas sensors uh, are probably... The, the most uh, uh, unique things launching now and, and real-time gas mapping is one of the, the biggest uh, uh, innovations. How about the fact that you can use a sprayer off of a drone? That sprayer can hold, what's the capacity on one of those sprayers? Uh, on the, they're, they're, they, the largest right now is 20 liters. So in your application, you use that as a fertilizer or a nutrient sprayer, pesticide perhaps. Um, but what other things could you put in it during this pandemic? Could you put a sanitizer in there? Could you sanitize locations on a large scale? Yes. And, and if you... If you guys YouTube this, you'll see the, the, the makers of the drones, the majority of the, the drones we use are uh, made by a company called DJI, and they're you know a Chinese-based uh, company. Uh, during their uh, highest level, uh, DJI dedicated you know pretty much a majority of their fleet, and it's, it's one of the primary tools or instruments used to uh, combat uh, uh, 
the way they sanitized the city. They basically uh, gridded the city. They flew down roadways as well as over businesses. Um, and these are with the 20 and the 16 liter uh, sprayers. Uh, but it's all over the internet. So we've been approached and we're, we're hoping to work with, with Colorado, but we're definitely uh, uh, in line to work with some other states in sanitizing schools. Because uh, once schools resume, I think there's going to be, you know, a, a new awareness and, and new protocol implemented, and especially in, in heavy traffic areas like our schools. So uh, schools might be implementing a, uh, a, a program where they sanitize the schools uh, at the end of uh, each school day. Um, so we're hoping to, to, to create a very cost-effective way um, for, for public school systems to implement uh, a way to sanitize not only interior but exterior. It's extremely interesting. And another sector that has come up with drones, and I, I'm thinking particularly about Amazon, and I've seen this in the headlines, using drones to deliver Amazon Prime goods, which brings up the, the idea of transportation. And this is going to have a legal component because we've known, we've seen interstate transport of hemp become an issue in the last year or two. Um, it relates a little bit to testing protocols and not being able, law enforcement struggling to tell the difference between hemp and marijuana. I'm wondering uh, what are the potentials for drone technologies to transport hemp? Is that ludicrous or is, it some, is there something there? Oh, I mean, on the delivery side, I mean, it's just a weight issue. I mean, it's like it's it depends what we're delivering. If we're delivering seeds, if we're delivering you know end product, oils, uh, tincture. But as far as uh, a drone mail dropping, um, it's I woke up with the idea this morning. As far as for delivering test kits, uh, uh, you know, people don't want the the just cruise it right up. And the way you can legally do it right now, if we had a van. And we had the van loaded up with test kits. We can pull up in the middle of a neighborhood, and I can go drop them in every everyone's yard legally. That's it's a line of sight. As long as you have line of sight of the drone, you can deliver right now. It's it's legal. It's not an illegal. It's just a weight issue. So, what do you mean by what's legal and what's not legal? Uh, when you uh, are doing something in, in what you're saying, line of sight, you can, you can put a, a, a piece of equipment out there and, and deliver something. But what if it's not line of sight, and especially in your applications as a drone farmer uh, providing ag services there, you're not going to see the drone all the time. You're going to cover vast acreage. How's that work? What's required? Yeah, and, and it's probably the biggest thing because, you know, these were considered toys. Now they're, you know, they're used in all industries. And so it's, uh, it's, it's probably the biggest component of our industry that's overlooked and the level of licensing you have to have a to provide a service with drones commercially you have to have a commercial license and to go uh, through the process of obtaining a commercial license <clears throat> you do a lot of the same uh, you have to do and, and study the same things uh, a pilot who's basically going to get his pilot's license to fly a Cessna um, it's just you're not physically in an aircraft, you're flying unmanned aircraft or unmanned air systems. Uh, so, so with that, uh, in whatever sector you're in, you have to think of the things that are illegal for drones, and those are all of the things you have to to obtain uh, uh, independent waivers for for your company to operate uh, 
uh, when it would normally be an illegal process with that technology. So with the drone farmers, we've uh, obtained a FAA attorney and we've obtained our night waiver to fly at night, uh, which is uh, one of the key things our service does to trump our, uh, our competition, which is crop dusters and helicopter electrostatic sprayers. Uh, they have to visually see to fly. Our drones are, are GPS and radar driven, so we have been granted waivers to, to fly our services and to perform our services at night. So each waiver that we want that isn't part of the normal uh, operations of drones, you have to obtain an independent waiver from the FAA. So we've done that. We're obtaining a swarm so that we can fly four drones with one operator. Uh, this enables us to compete and be competitive in the industry. Uh, with our sprayers, one drone can spray 25 acres uh, 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 an hour. Four drones can spray 100 acres. So we basically can knock out a pivot in three hours. Uh, and so uh, that makes us competitive. So we obtained a, uh, what we call a swarm waiver. So our last is to be able to fly uh, an unmanned aircraft over 55 pounds. That puts you in a whole different other uh, classification and a whole, uh, a whole different level of waivers you have to get. Um, so those, those are the, the, the crucial things for anyone considering using drones in any of the sectors, but especially ag. Uh, you want to be in compliance and you don't want to have uh, operators on your premises flying drones and there's an incidence because you'll be liable. I was just going to ask you, if I'm a farmer, why do I, why do I care about the FAA registrations, et cetera? Uh, well, there's, you know, there's, there's all the things that, there's the things that are already directly related to. Uh, you need to know, uh, uh, is this a commercial licensed pilot? Uh, is, does this pilot, if he's commercially licensed, he knows the, all of the uh, zones that he's flying in, which is the, the, the various airspaces. Uh, so that you're in compliance with the FAA, uh, because if you're not in uh, certain airspaces, you have to be granted uh, uh, clearance to fly in those spaces. And there's a protocol for that. Um, you can fly in pretty much, you know, two, two miles next to an airport or actually at the airport if you uh, follow the, the proper procedure and you're granted a waiver. Well, Derek, I'm wondering... Is drone farming only prevalent in the United States, or is this something we're seeing around the world? Uh, it's new, and it's, it's, it's more prevalent around the world because one of the uniquest things that, that using drones, it doesn't, you're not restricted to your terrain. You can grow, you can grow on the side of a mountain. If, you, if it rains in that area, uh, or, or you know, if it's, it's a plot small enough, but, yeah, that's the, one of the uniquest things that... Uh, other countries have used because you got to think if uh, it's much cheaper to buy two $25,000 drones where you're $50,000 into or that John Deere tractor that's 400,000 that that does it so that's where a lot of uh, you know countries uh, it's it's a more affordable piece of equipment even though it's advanced technology it's kind of it's kind of weird that we're uh, advanced country but we're still using um, you know traditional technology. So this is basically just bringing in a zero carbon footprint, you know, no emissions in your field. Uh, uh, our, with our command center, which is our mobile barn, basically, 
uh, it's, it's, it's solar powered. So when we're out there performing our services, it's just sun and water. We have a 300 gallon uh, water tank in our, in our truck and we mix our product. So we can basically spray a pivot uh, uh, and, it's, and it's all a sustained system. Well, and as we touched on before, we, we are expecting to see an impact on the acreage and the amount of hemp grown in the U.S. this year. However, have you seen any impact so far? Are you talking to farmers? Are they telling you, hey, I don't know if I'm going to be able to grow as much hemp this year or grow any hemp at all. I might have to fall back on my other uh, staple crops, wheat, soy, corn, et cetera. Uh, yes. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm not a 20-year farmer. I'm not a 10-year farmer. I uh, grew up in Indiana. My Uncle George was a farmer. Closest thing I did for farming was buy that that self-driven lawnmower. I was plowing through summer summer lawns, and you know I had a surplus of money, and that was as close to AR farming, AI farming, uh, I got. But uh, being our third year, the phones, you know, it's a blessing. I wake up like with our current state, and and how many people are not working. It's been the opposite for us. It's it's literally Zoom. Uh, uh, sessions we're selling uh, not only in state but in other countries. It's 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 time for a more efficient way. Um, uh, that's going to bring a, a better ROI to them, and this is the technology that's doing it. Um, when people look at drones, uh, they know it's not going to be more expensive, and it's not going to be something that's going to reverse and go backwards. So for us, this season, you know, every season has a trend. It's either, you know, everyone's doing CBD, now CBG. For this season, where the phone's blowing up, is tri-crop. Is, and, and, and as a business model, uh, we, we charge less per acre, but it's more acreage. And, and I would say, on average, it's, uh, I'm not having conversations with less than twenty five to 5,000 acres. You know, social distancing is what we've seen kind of mandated in our cities. However... Farming, that's a rural job. So maybe, Bob, you can speak to this as well, but life has to go on. That's been a message that we've touched on a couple of times during this podcast, and farming certainly has to go on. We even saw the Department of Homeland Security declare agriculture an essential industry. That's the only way we're going to get food for next year. Um, So, you know, it's interesting hearing you talk about the conversations are, are going kind of in the other direction. You're not hearing that people aren't going to grow this year. You're actually kind of seeing that increase in, in uh, interest. Um, Bob, thoughts on that? Talk about social distancing. I mean, uh, farmers, uh, you know, th- that's the definition of social distancing. You're, you're looking at an industry that can sustain everything that's happening around us because it's not necessarily labor-intensive upfront, particularly when you use technology and large-scale machinery. Uh, it's something that has to occur. Farmers' lives, their livelihood, their families are dependent on it. And again, you have to keep the ag supply chain moving. There's no question about it. You've got government support. You've got, in this case, the industrial hemp industry, which is extremely exciting. And even though a lot of farmers failed over the last two and three years or became increasingly irrelevant in terms of growing CBD-only crops, hemp in and of itself is something that is required. It's sustainable and necessary. And I think based on the recent USDA rules and the current pandemic, we're in a situation where the world requires 
reliable protein supply sources. And if you look at the protein content that comes out of any industrial hemp plant in terms of seeds, there is a market for protein. There are protein deficiencies worldwide. That situation will only decrease because of this. Then you put a couple other value adds onto that same crop, whether that's fiber, whether that's the interior of the plant, or whether that's the quote-unquote waste product of cannabinoids and terpenes. And that farmer just did really, really well and survived this uh, pandemic and the economic downturn, but most importantly, filled three or four or five distinct industries with materials and raw goods to power it and to continue pushing things forward. That's why farming is so critical, and that's why, in particular, industrial hemp is so critical. Yeah, and uh, to, to add to that, I think that's another big shift. It's like if there's one thing that uh, I think a lot of growers are realizing is what's going to be done indoors and what's going to be done outdoors. And and for us, it's making sure uh, everything, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, innovation we're going to be releasing. Um, our, like our biggest is uh, uh, the ability to identify a male, a herm, or a female. Uh, we're spinning our wheels to, to make that technology work for outdoors, and, and it's like it's, it's, it's really kind of pointless because it's, it, it's, it's not going to be needed for outdoors. It's an indoor tool because all of that type of monitoring is going to be needed to be used indoor. And, it, and, and our accuracy with it and it being uh, uh, available uh, for indoors is, is a now thing. Outdoors, is there's, there's too many variables. So there's, there's just a lot of things that just make what's inevitable uh, uh, a fit for how we're approaching it. So we have a program for industrial growers, and we have our program for, for growers for cannabinoid production. Um, and, and while it's still outdoors, uh, we, we, we uh, approach it uh, the same for about the first month, and then the program starts to shift. And as you know, um, you know, once the industrial uh, plant gets to a certain level, it kind of can handle itself. Um, so that's, that's, that's the biggest thing coming into this season that um, is, is really unique because you're always looking for what's going to be the trend for this season. Is it a particular strain, a, pic- a particular way to grow? And this year it's like everyone's going industrial. So we're, we're basically designing our systems for large acreage uh, crop management and applying products uh, on, on large acreage. Well, that's the future of the of domestic industrial hemp production right there. The difference between horticulture-style production and true industrial agriculture, which, as you said, the people you're talking to, hundreds if not thousands of acres as opposed to, you know, a 100-square-foot, uh, 200-square-foot greenhouse. Derek, uh, we're almost out of time here, but for any farmers who are out there who are hesitant to make the jump over to these kinds of new emerging technologies and, and innovative solutions for their farms, what would you say to them? What's your message? Uh, I would say pick probably their most problematic uh, uh, weekly, daily issue and, and see what we have as a solution for that. Uh, compare our numbers. Um, you know, uh, the, the easiest way is, you know, a lot of People apply, say, one to two products uh, on their crops at a time and say, say, $30 uh, per product per acre. Um, and then you use whatever instrument you're going to use to apply that, whether it's a crop duster, a helicopter, a backpack sprayer, or a tractor going through. Um, we're cheaper and we're more, we're more efficient. 
Uh, we fly two feet above the plant. Uh, there's zero drift uh, and um, precision application um, doesn't exist with the other with the other tools. Um, we can plant count. It's not an averaging for insurance uh, uh, claims. Uh, and for insurance, now that you know you can take out insurance on your crop, we have a program for that. Uh, so a turnkey solution uh, ends up being about 35% lower than their best price. And that's from, from soil analysis to harvest. That's the future right there. Derek, uh, thank you for coming on today talking about all these issues. Very important. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hoban Minutes special series on coronavirus and cannabis. You can head on over to hoban.law for more information on this podcast or the Hoban Law Group. If you have any ideas for subjects that we should be covering or any questions you want to pose to, to Bob or myself, shoot us an email at media at hoban.law. Stay tuned for the next episode on this special series, Coronavirus and Cannabis.